Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston. And I'm Catherine Schiffer-Decker. And today, again, our very special guest is Ellen Davis, who is the Amos Reagan Kearns Distinguished Professor of Bible and Practical Theology at Duke University and Duke Divinity School, um, and was my own um, uh, beloved teacher uh, in my uh, Master of Divinity days uh, at Yale. So welcome, Ellen. So uh, delighted and grateful that you took the time to, uh, to be with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Well, uh, the question for today uh, is, is one that um, I've encountered uh, in various uh, church circles. Um, and by the way, uh, if our listeners, uh, as you know, if you have a question, you can go to the Enter the Bible uh, website, enterthebible.org, and submit your question. But uh, this has to do with, with a big question and one that's really pertinent uh, for our time, I think, especially as we uh, understand the effects of climate change. Um, so the question is, didn't God in Genesis uh, give humans permission to subdue the earth and basically do whatever we want with it? So uh, this question is referring, of course, to Genesis 1, uh, where God, uh, the first creation story where God creates, uh, and uh, I should probably just read it uh, in the NRSV translation. Um, God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth. Uh, so God created humankind in his image. I'm skipping a few lines. Uh, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. That's Genesis 1, uh, basically verses 26 through 28. Now, these verses have been used uh, to justify exploitation um, of the earth uh, and, and using of resources in a, in a, in a destructive kind of way, uh, which I think we would argue is a, a misinterpretation of that blessing and command of God. But, uh, but it's still something uh, we need to talk about uh, as Christians and, um, and, and to try to understand. So... Ellen, how would you respond to that question? Okay, thank you. Um, the first thing I'd say is that that interpretation of the verse, and I hear it too, um, I sort of presuppose in my own teaching, as I'm sure you do, that this is present in every congregation and that my mm -hmm. students need to be able to respond to that. Um, so it is ubiquitous and at the same time that interpretation or the question as you put it can't we basically do whatever we want with the earth um, that would be incomprehensible to any ancient reader of the Bible um, or for that matter to any pre-modern reader that even the framing of the question um, marks us as being what we are, which is no generation has lived so far from the circumstances and the understandings of the Bible as we do. Well, wow. And that's a pretty sobering recognition. Mm -hmm. um, 
certainly with respect to the human relationship to what the Bible calls the works of God's hands, the created order, um, no generation has lived as far from the way the Bible would understand the existence of everything that is as we do. Um, Can you unpack so, that just a little bit, Ellen? Like, do yeah. you mean we we especially in the West don't we don't live on the land for the most part, right? We're primarily urban dwellers. We we think food comes from the grocery store. Yes. Right. Um, 99% of Israelites probably, uh, they were subsistence farmers. Yeah. Almost everything that they had, they would raise. Um, important also to recognize that the Bible comes out of a land, the land of Canaan, Israel, Palestine, um, that is exceedingly difficult to live on um, and to farm. Um, And so the Israelites knew that they lived on that land generation to generation by the grace of God and by caring for what had been given or entrusted to them um, with taking the most exquisite care of that fragile land. Um, So the idea that we can basically do whatever we want with it would have just made no sense whatsoever and would have seemed, as it is, the height of folly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, and kind of a suicide pact, right? I mean, (laughs) yes, a murder suicide pact. Yeah. 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 If if you don't care for the land, you will die, right? You you will not eat. You won't eat. And in a sense, the advantage that Israelites had over North Americans is um, that they had almost no margin for error. Um, Israel topsoil on the um, in the uplands of Israel, Palestine, which is the part that Israel controlled and inhabited during the biblical period. Topsoil is measured in inches, hmm. not in feet. So this isn't, if you this add, isn't Iowa. This isn't the Midwest. This, this is Iowa. not Iowa. Right. <laughs> this is not Egypt. You know, this is not the Nile Valley either. Um, and so, nor is it Mesopotamia. Again, all yeah, of these right. places where there was a margin for error. And so... Um, all of those places did suffer de- degradation uh, over time, as our own continent has done. Israelites survived to a great extent the same way Europeans have survived, um, by taking care of their land generation to generation, because there wasn't anything else to move on to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say also, so that's that. That's the physical geographic context. Uh, but I also want to say something about the literary context of that phrase. Um, you were reading, I think, from the new RSV, sub- yeah. be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth. Um, 
the Hebrew word is um, kifshucha. Uh, it literally conquered it. Okay, hmm. it's a very um, it's a very strong word, but it's also a word that does not occur very many times in the Bible. Um, and everywhere it occurs, conquest refers to the imperative to conquer, um, including the promised land, um, but in New Testament as well, the imperative to conquer refers to exercising power in a territory where the authority of God is disputed. Uh, and it re- the charge to conquer um, is a charge to exercise power under the authority of God huh. and to exercise power in a way that is transparent to God's character and to God's will for the world. Hmm. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, but so if you look at Genesis 1 in light of that imperative to conquer, then what do we know about God's character and will for the world in Genesis 1? We know that God, first of all, made everything. It is all, as I said before, the work of God's hands. And that God is really pleased with what God has made. Right. Very good. Uh, It's very good. Right. And then at the end, after humans are humans who are created in God's image and are charged to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. At the end, God says, look, I have given all the creatures enough to eat. And I've given you enough to eat. So God says, you know, look at all of this. That implies that we who are created in the image of God are given the trust to continue this work of provision Mm. on God's behalf. Mm. What does that sound like in an age of species extinction, massive species extinction, uh, of habitat destruction? Species die because they don't have enough to eat. And yet God says, I've given you all enough. So what it sounds like is that we are not living up to who we are. (laughs) And we're not living like the image of God. And interestingly, the Bible anticipates this failure (laughs) because that description of humans being created in the image of God that disappears after the first few chapters of Genesis. Hmm. Um, it's as though it were almost too hot to handle. Uh, and it doesn't reappear until it is used as a description of Jesus. Hmm. Um, In John 1, 
Is that what yeah. you're referring to? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. yeah. And he is the image of the living God. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, so um, I would say that in a, in a quite tragic sense, I think we can understand Genesis 1 more deeply than previous generations have done because the extent of our failure and the extent of the destruction, which would have been unimaginable to the ancients, um, we can see that unfolding in real time. Yeah, yeah. So, so where, <laughs> where do we find hope in that? <laughs> right. I mean, so we've 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 not done a good job of being image of Mm-mm. God. I, I certainly agree with you there. Uh, so there's there's repentance. I think. I mean, to use that theological term and that biblical theme, right? Repentance is called for. And turning around, well, that's what repentance is, right? Turning around, doing something different. Um, yeah. Um, I'm actually teaching a course this coming semester. Um, and it, the and it's on preaching in light, I won't say light, preaching in view of the reality of climate change. Mm-hmm. Um And so it's a very sobering class, as you would expect. Uh, And we go all the way through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and preach all of the major um, genres of literature, uh, parts of the Bible. Um, The name of the class is Hope for Creation? Oh, And that's right. quite, huh. and you know, we've kind of had to argue with the registrar to be sure that the question mark gets in there, um, huh. because because it is an open ended question. At the same time, um, I would say that the class generates hope um, because. What people find is that the Bible speaks to our desperate situation. Hmm. I mean, you know, we've already, in a sense, adumbrated that in these few minutes of talking about Genesis 1 and what a good reading of Genesis 1 looks like. Hmm. Well, it's, it's encouraging us to believe that we do have a vocation in this world, but it's not encouraging us to think that we can do that on our terms. Hmm. Um, And I would say that that kind of chastened understanding of the human place in the world is underscored chapter after chapter after chapter (laughs) or book (laughs) after book in the Bible. Yeah. Um, I love that emphasis on vocation. and it reminds me, you know, just a few verses later, really, in uh, Genesis 2, where God creates Adam or Adam and places him in the garden to 
till it and to keep it, right? Uh, to to Genesis two fifteen, I believe. Uh, that's the NRSV translation. But um, would you would you say a little bit about that verse, Ellen? I don't. I know sure. I've written about it. Um, the verse is Genesis two fifteen, and till is actually not. Um, a very good translation because the two verbs, the Lord God took the human being and placed um, it placed him or it. Um, you know, at this point in Genesis two, you don't have yet a separation between the man and the woman. Um, took the human being and placed him in the Garden of Eden, which means Garden of Delight. Um, to um, those two verbs are exceedingly common and the first of them means to serve um, and usually to serve a master either divine or human Um, and so I'm going to render that as put him in the garden of Eden to serve it Mm -hmm. And the second verb, ulashomra um, shamar, means to keep something, to observe it, to preserve it. It's used most frequently uh, with reference to the law of God, the statutes, the commandments of God. Mm-hmm. So you might translate that, uh, set the human in the Garden of Eden um, to serve it and to preserve it. Mm-hmm. to serve it and to observe it, mm. um, to, I've sometimes translated it, to work it and to watch it. Oh, All of that suggests what Genesis 1 suggests. That is that the land, in a very real sense, comes first. Mm. And we come out of the land. Adam is created from... Adama, uh, fertile soil in Genesis 2. And so, and in any traditional culture, um, people honor their elders. Um, And so the land is our first ancestor, you might say. Hmm. We're taken out of it, yes. Human from the humus is often... How the English translates that Hebrew wordplay, the, yeah. the Adam from the Adama. So when I um, when I have students, many of our students here at Luther Seminary are uh, 20-somethings. Not all of them. We have people from all age groups. But um, some of them, I think, are... Uh, are given to or tempted to despair. Mm. Um, and I think I'm sure that's, you know, what when you mentioned the, the name of the class you're teaching, right? uh, that's a similar kind of feeling. And I and I I wonder uh, or I I'm saddened by that because I think what you're saying, too, is, you know, yes, yes, uh, the, the situation is bad. But we are, but we don't abdicate responsibility for it, or we don't, we don't give up on it, right? Or we don't give in to a kind of despair that makes us um, paralyzed, right? And I'm not saying this is my students, but I, there is, there is, um, I've I've read recently quite a, um, you know, a mental health 
issue for uh, climate activists, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think about that fellow, uh, an older fellow, actually, well, my age, 50s, who set himself on fire on Earth Day on the steps of the Supreme Court. Um, this is maybe two years ago or something. Right? There's that kind of despair, we can't, we as, as you know, people of the book, both Jews and Christians, we, we, we cannot <laughs> give into that. And part of it is vocation, I think. Uh, I think part of it, too, is the um, is trust uh, that that God is still at work um, in the midst of this. Yes, and I think this is why this actually has to be. Well, it's why I t- teach this subject, and now, and now, actually, I've I've sort of taken a vow that every time I lecture or preach, when there isn't a specific topic that I have to talk about. I talk about climate change in the Bible. Um, And I do it because I think my experience is the more we talk about it in community, the more possibilities we find to do something in response to it. Um, I think about one of my students in an earlier iteration of the class I've just been describing to you two years ago, and he's he's a professional climate activist. And he said that when, before taking the class, when he would hear, and he is a Christian, when he would hear other Christians speak about um about hope for creation, he would roll his eyes because he normally thought that meant they w- they had their heads in the sand. Mm-hmm. You know, they just weren't paying any attention to it. And he was probably right. There's <laughs> probably plenty of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he said now, having studied the Bible and preached it, through a semester in community with other Christians. He said, now I have a different understanding of hope and my relationship to it. He says, I see that my role as a Christian is to be an agent of hope, Hmm. um, an agent of realistic hope. Um, And so give people another option that many of them don't know that they have. Um, And they see that they can ignore it. Right. Or they can yield to despair. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, they haven't been given the opportunity to get engaged with the problem through their faith. Mm. Because no one has really shown them how to do that, how to use the language of Scripture to enter into the biblical story and reckon realistically with the time in which we live. And he said, now I understand that's my job. Um, so, it is a, it's a matter of the heart, right? I mean, it's yeah. obviously we need scientists to, uh, to, to, to address this problem, but it's, it's a matter of repentance and, uh, and, and change of heart. Um, and on the part of many, many people. <laughs> yes. 
And and heart in the Bible is um, when we say change of heart, we do mean a complete change of mindset. Yeah. Um, and a change in our our whole disposition toward the world. And that's what heart means in a biblical context. And I think about Ezekiel saying that um, Ezekiel is speaking to Israel in exile and Babylonian exile. Um, And Ezekiel understands that Israel has been kicked out of the land that God entrusted to them for disobedience, which should be the end of history for this people. Mm-hmm. And yet Ezekiel, a new and Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. The, the kingship is uh, taken apart. All of this should mark the end of history for Israel as it did for every other people in the ancient world. But then Ezekiel hears a new word from God um, that the people will be brought back into their land. But as Ezekiel envisions it, or as God articulates it through Ezekiel, it's only after the people have experienced destruction that then they will be able to reckon with what they have done. Hmm. And they can't repent in advance. It's only when they see the destruction that they can see what they have done. That, I think, is where we are right now. Hmm. I, think, I think we are in exile. Um, we're, you know, we're just waking up to the unimaginable, previously unimaginable destruction we have wrought. And now... It's time to repent and get to work. Amen. Wow. Trusting, trusting that God is a God of life and that we are yeah. to be about God's, we, we are to at least try uh, to be God's image, uh, yeah. to, to be about God's mission in the world. Wow. I, I just want to note and um, uh, if you know, this is a big topic, and uh, uh, and we've we've just kind of skimmed the surface. But for those listeners who are interested, uh, and if your interest has peaked by this episode, uh, Ellen has written a, a beautiful book called Scripture, Culture, and Agriculture: um, An Agrarian Reading of the Bible. I use it in a class that I teach called Bible and Ecology, uh, and it's it's a, a kind of walk through many uh, biblical texts including Genesis, including Leviticus, including the prophets, uh, that, that brings out this really fundamental um, emphasis in biblical texts uh, on the land and on creatures, other living creatures, and on humanity's relationship with them. So um, if you're interested to speak, please uh, check out uh, Ellen's book, Scripture, Culture, and Agriculture. Well, well that was... Um... That was riveting. So thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom and insights, Ellen. Um, so much food for thought. I'm probably going to have to go back and re-listen to that a few times because uh, I also feel despairing and afraid a lot. So that 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 um, I'm feeling called to repent. I'm feeling called to change my heart and my mind and 
um, to do something different. So thank you so much for that. And thank you thank to you, our Beth. wonderful, yeah. Thank you to our wonderful uh, listeners and viewers on YouTube. We're just delighted that you're with us uh, and you can get more where this came from at uh, enterthebible.org. Um, please uh, remember to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, like, and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And as always, um, the best thing you can do um, is to share the podcast with a friend. If you've enjoyed it, if uh, you've had um, new insights uh, or thoughts uh, or even the movement of the spirit, we would invite you to do that. So thank you so much for being with us today and uh, we'll catch you next time.